0: be Christian in the quantum era. We're thinking about how a huge world view shift that our culture is going through is affecting the way that we practice and the way that we frame our Christian lives. And so we spent a lot of time in the early part of the year kind of focusing on two really big themes. And then after having done that for a while, I thought, well, we need to go back and review the central values of our community. And so there are two forms of spirituality that are practiced through the centuries apophatic spirituality and cataphatic spirituality. Apophatic means beyond words, and cataphatic means through words. One of them is the spirituality that is beyond cognition, and that is what we do when we do our meditative practice. That's what we do when we do examine of consciousness. That's what we do with the soul stilling, soul quieting. But we also have a spirituality that is through thoughts and self-awareness. And one of the tools that we have discovered as a community that is most fruitful and most effective in helping us know the interior framework of our lives, our belief systems, is the Enneagram. So Robin is going to come up today and speak to us about the Enneagram. In September, we're going to have a a Friday night and Saturday seminar uh, basically orienting you to the Enneagram. One of our concerns about this with a, as a community is that we use this so much, and there's a lot of terminology associated with it, is that it can become kind of jargonish and difficult for people to access when they first come in the door. They think that there might be an in-group of people who know something, and then they don't know that something. And that is a problem because there is a lot of jargon associated with it. So we want to do these things from time to time to help inviting people into kind of a shared vocabulary, a shared understanding, to help us understand what the Enneagram is. So while we're in this review moment, before we start the next lesson, I'm really glad that Robin's going to come up and speak to us about the Enneagram. Robin, come on.
1: All right, so I'm just going to tell you my point right up front, and then I'm going to make my point in about a half an hour. So right up front, my point is, is I'm going to be telling you about the Enneagram And the reason I'm going to be telling you about the Enneagram is because I'm hoping that you're going to learn the Enneagram and I'm hoping that you're going to learn your type and the purpose of learning the Enneagram and the purpose of learning your type is so that you can then go about the hard work of disidentifying with your type so that you can go about the hard work of softening your type for the purpose of getting to Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the purpose of learning about the Enneagram is not to strengthen your ego. It is not to make you look good or to feel good. The purpose is so that you can get it out of the way so that you can experience Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is why it is unique as far as personality systems go, is the purpose of learning your type is so that you can disidentify with your type so that you can get to Christ in you, the hope of glory. So I have to spend a little bit of time telling you about the Enneagram, which means that I'm simply going to give you a psychology lesson, okay? So just bear with me. It's very interesting. Then I'm going to tell you about each of the eight types and what they, what they look like when Christ in you, the hope of glory, has full reign. And then I'm going to tell you about what you look like when Christ in you, the hope of glory, is choked off. When you are, in your, when you are a raging type. And then I'm going to tell you while centering prayer is going to help you strengthen the self-observer so that you can loosen your type, so that you can get to Christ in you, the hope of glory. All right? So I have already made my point. You still have to sit here. (laughs) All right. So as Doug said, in the fall we will be doing a mini conference, Friday night, a Saturday. We will, after that, form Growth Edge groups. And I'm hoping that... At that point, you will join a growth edge group, okay? So, this is where we hammer out the Enneagram. Let's get right to the Enneagram. It's Greek for nine, Ennea is nine. Lo and behold, there are nine types. And Richard Rohr says that these types were formed by examining the nine sins. So these sins, can be understood as the emergency solutions that were used in early childhood as a way of coping. They were necessary for our survival. And the older we get, the more clearly they become a problem. So what started out as a set of glasses soon becomes blinders. So the nine sins of the Enneagram were reduced by Pope Gregory the Great to the seven deadly sins, which most of you are familiar with. Pride, envy, anger, sloth, lust, gluttony. And he left out fear and he left out deceit. So here in the West, even though Do not fear is mentioned 365 times in the Bible. We just conveniently decided that it wasn't a sin. We do things like that. So these types are arranged clockwise in the circumference of a circle for teaching purposes only. We then cluster these nine types into triads, groups of three. Now, you can't see this from this diagram, so you're just going to have to take my word for it, or you can Google Enneagram, and you're going to see everything that I'm telling you right now. But just imagine the top three, eight, nine, and one, as being the top three. So this little far corner is eight, the very top one is nine, and the one farther down is a one. We call that a triad. And we call that the gut triad. And the reason being is that for these people the center of gravity lies in their belly where the raw material of their existence is located. They often experience life as too much, somewhat like a full-body blow, and they develop characteristic defense mechanisms. The eights hit back, the nines back off, and the ones try and fix it. The next triad, down here where the little green begins and the white and the red, is considered the heart triad. And these people are the social types. And although this is considered the feeling triads, they actually have very little access to their own feelings. They experience themselves in reaction to the feelings of others they unceasingly develop activities to secure the attention of others. The twos do this by posing as lovable and helpful. The threes will play whatever role their social environment requires. And the fours put an appearance forward as someone special and authentic. And the last triad is the head triad the five, six, and sevens. These people are plagued by fear and anxiety, and they cope with it in three different ways. Fives try to master their fear by gaining more and more knowledge. The phobic sixes link up with an authority group in order to manage their fear. And the counterphobic sixes take foolish risks in order to manage their fear. And the seven simply deny their fear, and they avoid pain, and they create lots of fun and fantasy. So, we all have all the types in us, but we lead with one type. We will not change that type entirely, but this is our doorway to transformation. Then there is the wing theory, and that means that whichever type that you identify with, the types to your left and the types to your right are going to pull you in one direction or another. So, the five with the four wing is going to look a little different than the five with the six wing. And then there's the arrow theory. Those lines that you see in the interior of the circle, the lines mean something. Just a brief overview every point is connected to two other points. There is a unique synergy between those three. And what that means is one of those three is going to look like you when you are integrated, and one of those are going to look like you when you are not integrated. It's a theory, okay? And then there's a third theory, called the child soul, and that means one of the types that you're connected to has your soul child that you have lost and you have disconnected from, and that when we become integrated, we resemble our soul child more fully. It's fun if you take it lightly. So thus, our original sin can be viewed as our particular Enneagram compulsion. So our original sin is our compulsion, the way we separated from our truth. The whole diagram can be called the face of God. If we could look at reality through all nine viewpoints, we would then see reality the way God sees reality. Our eyes would be filled with compassion for ourselves and for others. So this is a quick overview of what we will be teaching in the fall. And after we have that little seminar, then we're going to form growth-edge groups where we hammer our types out. What does it look like? What are we doing? Why are we doing it? And we come to you because you will tell us about the people in our lives. So when I'm not understanding the one in my life, who is my sister, I will go to the ones in my group and I will say, when I do this, she does that. That doesn't make sense to me. Does it make sense to you? And the ones in my group says, of course. You know. And that's how we go. <clears throat> so I have just described a personality system. But where is the growth? And where is the spirituality in all of this? In Genesis 1.27, God created mankind in his own image, And in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And did I say that God created man? Did you get that? (laughs) And Socrates says, an unexamined life is not worth living. And Frederick Buchner says, the unexamined human life is a lost chance to behold the divine. The unexamined human life is a lost chance to behold the divine. So, we examine our lives as a way to find the divine. We don't want to miss God. We don't want to miss the divine. We don't want to miss Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27 We do not want to miss the Christ that we live and move and have our beingness in. Acts 17, 28. So the reason why the Enneagram is a spiritual map and not just a psychological map is because it offers us a way that we can access the Christ in you, the hope of glory. It offers us the theory that we can likewise choke off The Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, here are the nine different glories. The eighth glory, when it is not choking off Christ in you, is immediacy and aliveness. Alive not with their power, but with the power of life. And alive to vulnerability. They sense essential truth everywhere. The nine's glory is the ability to simply be a beingness, at rest with oneself, the experience of unity. They perceive a world of unconditional love and union. The one's glory is when they know goodness in oneself and in others. Everything is sacred and nothing is left out. They sense a state of perfection everywhere. The two's glory is learning what love is, a compassionate holding. They sense a world in which needs are met according to a universal will. The three's glory is a delight and enjoyment in the sense, in the sense that value is found in oneself, not in one's effort. They live in a place where things work out according to a universal law and not dependent upon their efforts. The four's glory is a journey into genuine identity and allowing it to be a mystery. They experience a state of deep and complete connection to all things. The five's glory is illumination and clarity and that lovely aha. They know that the flow of a universal energy meets all real needs. The sixth's glory is trusting that the spaciousness within is full of the Holy Spirit and not emptiness. They experience faith in oneself and in the universe. The seventh's glory is freedom and expansiveness and delight and gratitude. They combine focus with the ability to travel the spectrum of life. So... Just as we have nine different ways of expressing the glory of God, we also have nine different ways of choking off the glory of God. So, when the eights choke off the glory of Christ within, they resort resort to being strong and powerful, and they impose their own truth, and they hide their vulnerability. And the nines, when they choke off the glory of God, will merge with others and they will lose themselves. The ones, when they chuck off the glory of God, they believe that they can gain worthiness and love by being good and by correcting errors and by meeting the requirements of their critical minds. And the the twos, when they chuck off the glory of God, they believe that they can gain love and approval and they can fulfill their personal needs by giving to others. Threes, when they choke off the Christ glory within, they believe that they can gain love, and recognition, and acceptance through performance, and through doing, and through success. Type fours, when they choke off the glory of God within, they believe that they can regain the lost ideal love and the perfect state by finding a situation that is unique, and special, and fulfilling. And the romance novel industry hopes that they never find the glory of God within. (laughs) And the type fives, when we choke off the Christ's glory within, we really, really believe that we can protect ourselves from intrusion and from insufficient resources. We really believe that life is worth living if we are very private and if we're very self-sufficient and if we limit all desires and if we acquire all knowledge. And the type sixes, when we choke off the glory of God, we really believe that we can assure life and certainty through avoiding or facing harm through vigilance, through an active imagination, through questioning and either battling or escaping perceived hazards. And the type type sevens, when they choke off the Christ of glory within, believe that they must escape frustration and they can assure a good life by going into options and opportunities and adventures. And so Karen Beasley offers a metaphor that I really like and have used it all the time and I am giving her a gift because when I have a metaphor and someone uses it I want them to call my name Forgot that I got that from you. I almost took it as my own. (laughs) And of course, being the expert, I wanted it to be mine, but it wasn't. It was Karen's. (laughs) So she said, We're like two sided puzzles. And so we begin our lives constructing this lovely puzzle, and it's our identity. And we are very, very intent and careful as we put together piece by piece by piece. And what that means is if you ask me who I am, I will look up at my giant puzzle, and I will tell you who I am, okay? I have a building over here. It's not finished, but it's okay, okay? I have this stream, and it's not weeded, but it's okay. I'll get around to it. And so I'm telling you who I am. And unbeknownst to me, it is not a one-sided puzzle that I have been constructing, but it is a two-sided puzzle, And the whole time I thought I was constructing one picture, I am really constructing two pictures. The one I thought I was and the one others are seeing me to be. And so, again, as a five, I have constructed this wonderful, unobtrusive, observing way of being. I don't bother anyone very often. And every once in a while, I have this little insight that I offer you. And actually, it is quite a humble picture, wouldn't you say? And after studying the Enneagram for a while, I am told that the picture on the other side of my puzzle is not quite that innocent, and it is not quite that humble. I am told by people who are looking at my other puzzle picture that sometimes, I can come across as quite arrogant. And that sometimes, my unobtrusiveness is quite put-offish. And that sometimes, I am simply too adamant. But Little old me? Can't be. That's not what my picture looks like. I am innocent. Look at my picture. You are wrong and I am right. I am not that way, I look at my picture, okay? So I hear that all the time. We are all innocent. And we are all responsible for the picture on the other side of our puzzle. This carefully constructed identity of ours, we are responsible for both sides of the picture. Even though I have never been able to see the other side, and even though I will never be able to see the other side, I am still responsible for it. And so, how do we go about taking responsibility for the other side of our puzzle? And this is what I am calling the spiritual journey. And this is why the Enneagram is so hugely helpful for the spiritual journey. So, The theory offers us a path to accessing the Holy Spirit within, Christ, the hope of glory within. And the biblical term for doing this is called abiding. And if you go to the Bible and you look up abiding, you will find a whole lot of words, a whole lot of passages about abiding. And abiding means being in the moment. Abiding means being present. Being present to the presence. Being willing for God to define himself as I am. Not I was and not I will be, but I am. Being willing to say, okay, if you are I am, then I will come to the I am. I will come to the present moment. And I will find more reality then than any other place. And last week and this week, Doug is teaching us centering prayer an excellent way to establish a baseline that helps us know when we are being in the moment and when we are being in our type. So, practicing centering prayer strengthens the inner observer. And the inner observer is what allows us to know when we are abiding and when we are not. The inner observer is what tells us when we are living in the present and when we are living in our type. So strengthening our inner observer is the first step of disidentifying with our type and in stopping the choking off of Christ in you, the hope of glory. We begin centering prayer, because we just did it, by going in and down. We use our attention to follow our breath. Attention and breath, something that everybody has. And then when we are sufficiently in and down, we loosen and let go of any and all things that beg and demand our attention. So This is fantastic training. The training is not the point, but the point that we are training for is to recognize our type, loosen it, release Christ in you, the hope of glory. And what we are training for is to be aware of the characteristics of our type so that we don't react And we have the choice, then, of going in and down, and we have the choice of loosening and letting go. We have the ability to relax our triggers, and at that point, we will actually have access to all three centers of intelligence. And so, if you are in the gut triad, you have been given the intelligence of your body already. And you have to practice and you have to be aware of the intelligences of the heart and the head. And if you are in the head triad, you have to practice accessing your body and you have to practice accessing your heart and so on. And so if you have access to all three, all three centers of intelligence because you have relaxed your type then you might do things a little differently. If you are able to relax your type so that you have access to all three centers of intelligence, you might come to different conclusions. For example, again, as a five, about two years into the Enneagram, I found out that fives have an unusual attachment to their perceptions. Who knew? And, I cannot go to my body, I cannot go to my mind and say, dear and sweet precious mind that never fails me, would you please tell me when I am putting too much emphasis on my thoughts? Because my mind is not going to say, oh yes, I can't wait to tell you when you put too much emphasis on your thoughts. Because my mind is invested in me never changing my type. So you cannot go to your brain and have your brain help you. But your body center of intelligence has no no filters. Your body is the clearest communicator that you have of what is going on. And so, here's the way I know when I am attaching too much emphasis on my thoughts. My collarbones start hurting, of all things. Who knew that bodies had intelligences? Who knew that bodies spoke? Who knew that you could do life differently if you would listen to your body? And so it makes sense because I am putting, I am identifying with my thoughts. My whole survival is based on my perceptions. It is hugely important since my identity is all wrapped up in my perception it is hugely important that my perceptions be right and it is hugely important that you agree with me so no wonder all of my energy is and all of my energy is right around my neck so of course my collarbones are going to start hurting but i have spent my life ignoring my body as far as a five is concerned bodies don't exist they are very much in the way So, when I relax my type, when I become aware of my hurting collarbones, then I can access all three centers of intelligence. And at that point, I start breathing differently. My body is communicating to me. I have choices. I can either continue saying, my opinion is hugely important, or I can take a deep breath, and I can go down and in, and I can loosen and let go. And when I do that, I have options. This gets me out of my head, into my body, and into my heart. I now can make better decisions. So this is how we go about mining the Enneagram. And we are finding that it is a gift that keeps on giving. So I'm going to end with this scripture. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies where is its life and if Jesus had been born in America he would have said and unless an acorn falls into the ground and dies where is the oak tree so your type is the shell of the acorn this is your type alright and for the sake of the analogy let's just say that this shell is a very good thing It protected the acorn while it was growing. It protected the acorn from the storms. It protected the acorn from the bugs. This shell, this type, this ego is a wonderful thing. It is everything that we needed. All right? And so then when the shell has served its purpose, the acorn falls to the ground. Now at this point, it is appropriate for the acorn shell to soften. In order for the oak tree to grow, the shell has to soften. So your type has to loosen. But you can't loosen your type if you don't know what your type looks like. So we have been given a huge cheat sheet. We have been given a huge freebie. We have been told what our picture looks like on the other side. So, our types are not us any more than the shell of the acorn is the acorn. It is a shell. So, there is a true self. There is an observer self that co-mingles with our creator. And that is the purpose of relaxing our type so that we can get to this true self, this co-mingler, this co-creator self that is our true self. So, the unexamined life is a lost chance to behold the divine. The reverse is also true. The examined life might, just might, be our chance to behold the divine. So, come to the conference in the fall, learn about your type, join a Growth Edge group, And let us begin our spiritual journey in this capacity. And thank you.